0: For more information, visit www.novic.co. This episode is brought to you by Pragma. Pragma is a backend game engine founded by the engineering leaders who built the platforms for some of the largest live service games, including League of Legends, Fortnite, Destiny 2, and Plants vs. Zombies 2. Pragma powers services like accounts, matchmaking, and player data for the world's most ambitious live service games the Pragma backend game engine is the only solution that is truly extensible so that game designers aren't blocked by clumsy black box designs. With Pragma, studios no longer need to hire a large back-end team and get the ultimate peace of mind that their game will always be ready to scale. To learn more, simply head to pragma.gg or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode.
1: So welcome, 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 everybody to another episode of our Data Corner series. We're joined again by Elad Levy, founder and CEO of Dive, and also Tammy Levy, uh, Chief Gaming Officer at Captain TV. So let's, as always, you know, let's start with some really quick intros uh, and then jump in. Uh, Elad, as a very quick refresher for our listeners, uh, could you briefly uh, intro yourself and what Dive does?
2: I'm a 20 years entrepreneur. In the games industry, with several exits, and the last company that I've started five years ago, Dive, uh, focuses on providing data and BI custom solutions for uh, companies, different companies, different industries as well. But games are really a beautiful challenge because they are so. Complex to manage.
1: Makes sense. And Tammy, uh, could you quickly tell uh, listeners about your background and what you're doing today?
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, great to be here again and dive into more data stuff. Uh, So you might know me from uh, the um, regular, as a regular panelist from Navix roundtable or some of my GDC talks. Uh, Right now, as Manny mentioned, I'm at Captain TV uh, and we're a startup where we're making community games uh, and it's really games for uh, streamers or creators in their communities to play together in a, in a very authentic way. Uh, but I always say that I live in the intersection of product data and game design and uh, that, you know, I've jumped around a bunch of uh, places from user acquisition to analytics uh, to product. So before Captain TV, I was at uh, congrade as uh, chief product officer, but also um, before that, Head of Insights and Analytics. Uh, and before that, I was at uh, Zynga. Um, so I'm, I'm always ready to jump in and talk data.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for those uh, intros, uh, Elad and Tammy. But uh, before we jump into today's discussion, um, Elad wants to just share a few quick words.
2: Thank you, Manu. So for those of you who do not know, I am Israeli and uh, I just wanted to uh, tell my friends and family and everyone in the Israeli Defense Force that I send my love and prayers. Uh, please be safe and stay strong. Back to you, Manu.
1: Great. Thanks, Elad. And yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, Tammy and me definitely echo the feeling. And, um, and yeah, we're here here to support uh, in any way we can. But, but yeah, thanks for addressing that. Um, But yeah, I guess we can, uh, with that, we can jump into today's discussion. Um, As a reminder, this is part two of driving ROI with data analysis, which is a broad topic that many understand has value, but, you know, a lot can be learned on how to engineer it. And in the last episode, we talked about how game teams should think about setting up their data pipelines, data teams, and budgets. Then we hit on what cadence data processes should look like and how they should evolve over time. And then we ended with how the one-to-many relationships between data teams and the rest of the organizational departments could be structured to drive positive results. I'll put a link to part one in the show notes, but today uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some more tactical questions uh, around initiating and conducting data analyses and that should no, definitely no pun in some... no pun intended
3: no pun intended
1: yeah yeah every, every time i say dive <laughs> the crew here uh, smiles a bit but but yeah uh, i think yeah, a lot of these tactical questions should result in some actionable takeaways for listeners so we can pick things up from how Elad ended the last conversation. Uh, He mentioned that one of Dive's internal taglines is data analysis starts with questions. And I heavily subscribe to this line of thinking. So Elad, uh, I'd like to dig into that a bit further. Um, How should data consumers in game teams think about formulating the right hypotheses or questions before approaching the data team with various requests?
2: Well, from my experience, uh, if you have an amazing product manager on the other side, like a Ninja product manager on the other side that is understands data, he will know what to ask and how to ask it. But if you don't, it's something that uh, can't be learned over time. Is in part of the iterative process of data. You start with simple questions, obviously of installed the U revenue, session length, uh, basic stuff, and then curiosity starts. You know, uh, picking up, and you're like. Uh, what if we, I know, if we give like a different balance at the beginning of the session, will it affect the session length or something like that or will it affect engagement like looking for correlation? So it's like it's it's a process that evolves over time and every team have different questions. Like product managers, game designers, like game economists for example focus on progression systems and churn. Developers focus on crashes or crash reports or types of crashes per day or errors per day marketing people obviously focus on the ua and campaigns and roi so it's like every team has their own set of questions and you just need to centralize everything properly and start knocking them off one by one
1: got it what what do you think tammy
3: uh, yeah, I, I echo a lot of that. Um, I think one of the things that is super important that I always try to emphasize to to folks is, um, as part of that curiosity and exploration, you also have to suspend a little bit of your own bias. Um, so you have to be ready to be wrong uh, and be open to to surprises. Um, with that, you also want to make sure that you're coming, as as Eled said, with questions and not uh, chart requests. And this is, it, it sounds like a like a silly piece of advice, but I see it time and time again. Um, a lot of times you see people coming over to your data team and asking, hey, can you make a chart that looks like this on the x-axis, like that on the y-axis with these segments? And by the time you get there, you already have, uh, you know, so many assumptions baked in. Like it's is it, are you even asking a question? Is it the right question? Like that is not that is not an um exploration in in your data. So you have to take a step back and really think about like what is my goal? Like what what question? Back to the questions. What question am I trying to answer or what goal am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to increase retention, increase repeat spend? Sure, you have to understand and identify which KPIs are relevant for that uh, specific goal that you have. But you don't come with uh, the exact (laughs) chart. And then from there, you also have to understand your audience, right? I'm already talking about new players, elder players, some specific segment. And now you have kind of like all of that information. You're ready to formulate a hypothesis, which is an educated guess on what might happen. An example here, like super simple is... Hey, if I increase the rewards that I give out, um, to players for watching videos, um, talking about like rewarded, ad ad monetization, it will boost engagement with that placement, um, that unit and therefore increase ad revenue. Now you have like the whole kind of like idea there. So I think it is, it's, it's very important to kind of come at it from that point of view. Make sure it's measurable. Make sure that you prioritize the most important questions, the most impactful ones, the critical ones. And then again, be open to surprises. You are going to be wrong. Um, So be ready for that.
1: Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, I mean, you already hit on some examples, uh, which is great because I would like to make this a little bit more concrete. So, I mean we have like a lot of uh, you know war stories battle scars on on, on this uh, question itself but maybe Elad uh, could you maybe share an example from your experience when you know asking the right data question led to needle moving results how how did that situation play out
2: yeah, I know at at which point of the game like do we have the highest churn like can, can we or Yes, I I will have to obviously create a dashboard for that, but where do we lose the most players at which point of the game? And that will probably, if you structure the dashboard properly, it will expose the, the problems with the progression system in the game. And if you work on it, properly with, you know, the economy game designer and live ops teams that will move the needle instantly because all of a sudden you you lose a ton of, another great example is funnels. Like all the questions that are around the funnels and loading funnels, if you break that into pieces, I had great experiences that when in games that are really mature and you move a lot of traffic sometimes you improve something in the loading process and it, you know, you just, it's like something really small that affects like half percent or one percent in the, in the loading uh, funnel. And you, you see like the needle moving instantly after like a couple of weeks, you see like more players flowing in and, and, you know, KPIs improve. So I, that's, uh, I think it's a couple of, basic questions that I can think of okay yeah and I yep, can I can sense.
3: jump in mm-hmm. I can jump in with mm-hmm. um, another example as well that um, as Elad was talking I, I was thinking about so back to my kind of comment about uh, ad monetization let's, let's use that uh, as a starting point um, that was something that we actually iterated on a lot at Congrate. Um, over a bunch of different idle games. So this was kind of like an iteration through like within a single game, but also across games. Um, and as we were going through it, we were basically coming with questions of, is this placement, uh, going to improve either a percentage of players engaging with our units or, number of ad um, or number of views that we get per player on a daily basis. So those were the two metrics that we were trying to move. Um, And it was a combination of both iterating on the specific ad units, but also um, so and that that means making the ad units that we were presenting either more compelling, servicing them better. one example that we worked on with um, a team in in Canada called Hyper Hippo uh, is we we just made the button for hey engage with ads a little bit more prominent. It was not even like a huge change. Um, we just made it slightly bigger, and that I I forget the exact number, but it was like a twenty percent increase on on engagement or something. Um, pretty oh, okay. significant. <laughs> um, and it was just right. like, Hey, the button was hard to, to, to tap. Cause it was too little in the corner, just make it easy to tap. And people were engaging with it. Um, so that's a kind of like a very specific sample. Then over the course of, you know, many iterations like that, we were able to get from our early, um, implementations. We had like 40% of DAU engaging with ads. We were able to get to like over 70% of our DAU engaging with ads uh, and all without you know hurting retention so that kind of like that concrete example is, is something that took many iterations many years many games but um, you know it was just coming with very clear goals and questions and um, kind of refining that process
2: We have a we have a card game that has a like a card mode uh, there are two types of card modes in the game. And obviously, you know, we did like the retention report, classic rolling, whatever, to see how it looks like. But then we added the card mode as a segment, like as a filter in the report to see if it's somehow correlating to retention. A very simple like question, like do people that play specific card mode are are more like, like have better engagement and the average spiked from like 30 percent d1 to 70 it's insane because when you hit when you hit something you just like you see things like move like crazy and yeah, it and i think that when games are still they start those movements are really aggressive and after like when they're super mature You're fighting over the half percent and the (laughs) 1%. Really really. small changes, but...
1: Uh, I I think that both both were like really good examples. And yeah, that's the kind of stuff that sometimes is just, you know, the kind of upside that's hidden in plain sight, you know. (laughs) But as long as you're asking the right questions, uh, you can kind of uh, discover that upside. But I mean, since these were like slightly more positive examples, um, maybe Tammy, you could uh, give us a slightly more negative one. (laughs) Uh, You know, when maybe, um, again, like sometime in your experience, when maybe asking a poor or the wrong question, Caused wastage of team resources or you know adverse player results. Uh,
3: yeah, so there's there's a few examples that come to mind. Um, there's one example where um, we had a a, a CCG a card card battler game. Um, it was asynchronous PvP, so you know just not not. Um, not real time, you know, you have your your deck, you're battling other people that have their deck set up. And we had um, kind of like this very minor change. It's like a change that you're like, oh, what can happen? Nothing can happen, right? <laughs> what was the change? We changed the order of who plays first. So which card gets <laughs> dropped first. And, uh, you know, our... We were just like, cool, that that's gonna change a little bit., uh, win rates. So we had some hypothesis. like team team was saying it was like, okay, win rates are gonna gonna change a little bit, but didn't think much about it after that. Uh, and we started seeing a community get very upset about like, hey, the game all all of a sudden got super hard. like this change is brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't right. win. Like there's like very real disadvantage on going second. And we were looking at um at the dashboards and the data and we we're like, oh, there was like a little drop on on the win rates. Like pfft, what they're crazy. Nothing's happening. Right. And you know, it took a lot of cycles to like dig in and, and figure out what was happening, but it was just like one of those things where it's like, Oh, the community just like doesn't like the change, right? Uh, but it 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 just got escalated more and more. And as we started digging um, a little bit deeper, there were there were two pieces to it. One was that we were um, the the dashboards actually had like some SQL mistakes, like the the SQL was <laughs> oh. had errors. <laughs> Uh, so there there's also that piece of hey you know you're you're gonna if you don't have like a solid um QA on on your data and your dashboards you might be looking at the wrong data so that's that lesson number one there <laughs> lesson number two was even when we fixed that the the dip also looked you know okay it was m- more substantial but it was not as um as prominent but once we started segmenting by certain types of players specifically player age um and uh yeah it was like mostly mostly player age there was this huge difference like new players just based on how matchmaking worked they were fine but the hit that Elder players were taking, like, our most vocal players, our players who monetize the most, um, et cetera, et cetera. The hit was, like, they had gone from, like, let's say something like, I I forget the specific numbers, but it was, like, something from, like, 70% win rates to 20% win rates. And that is, like, a brutal, you know, hit to the experience of, of the player and, like, their progression and, you know... Of course, they were going to be in an uproar for like this uh, having happened. And it was just like a lot of cycles to get to the bottom of it. Um, And I think it's, 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 this was not specifically not asking the right question, but looking at the wrong, at the data in in a wrong, kind of from a wrong lens, I would say. Um, So that was, that's kind of like one of the big examples that comes to mind on like, Rabbit holes that you chase that, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time to really uncover the right um, answer if you're not coming, you know, we didn't really have a, 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 you know, question when we made the change of like changing the order of who right. goes first or a goal, right? right?
1: Yeah, I can, I can completely relate to that. Uh, just like the example or just like the situation of who is the start player and changing that because I mean I come from a family my my wife's side is a heavy heavy board game uh, fa- like playing fa- family and um, yeah the biggest discussion for every board game uh, and you know now we've uh, kind of formed like Fully randomized solutions for figuring out who the start player is, but the biggest discussion is always who is the start player because it comes with a lot of advantages and disadvantages. But I mean that's that's just like a random side story. But but yeah, Elad, uh do you also have like an example to share, a slightly more you know negative one?
2: Uh, yeah, I do have actually a couple of examples that come to my mind. First is um, I saw a lot of time and effort waste getting wasted on excess events i think tammy said we track everything in the previous episode that 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 the we track everything is a real dangerous thing because it complicates everything it creates more work for qa more work for the data engineers the analysts are just overwhelmed and they completely at some point they start losing uh like the focus of what were what was the original question they just send events of everything and it's just a pile of garbage that no one is validating and cleaning and uh, this is excess events is something that I really recommend avoiding at least in the beginning and then another thing that is uh missed not like... Not, not the wrong questions, but not asking that question is um, uh, building source sync dashboards in the beginning. In gambling, we used to call them MIMO, money in, money out. Because quite often you release something in the game or you fix a bug or you create a new bug where you start sourcing coins and that instantly affects revenue. because Revenue just starts dropping out of the blue and chasing that is is insane it takes a long time you know so unless you have a a proper uh, dashboard for it uh, that you can monitor daily it's really 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 risky
1: yep Makes, makes total sense Awesome. Uh, So let's uh, move on to the next step of the data analysis funnel. Um, You know, the right questions have now been asked. Uh, The data is in, the analysis has been done, uh, and conclusions have been made. Um, This is kind of the point, you know, when game teams need to take action. uh, And a key part of that is getting various stakeholders buy-in. so Tammy, what would your thoughts be around how game team should you know present uh, the data results and propose next steps to stakeholders in different teams and also stakeholders of different seniority levels?
3: Uh, yeah, that's that's a place where I think that we don't always focus our conversations about data and it's it's crucial. It's like what are you gonna do next with the data, right? And I'm a I'm a big fan of thinking about it as storytelling with data. Like you have to really think about you're telling a story. You have to make sure that it, you know, has a beginning, a middle, and end, and it's it's a compelling beginning, middle, and end. Um, so think about it as as that you're you're telling a story. Your data has to back up that story. Your takeaways have to back up that story. Um, but kind of going into more specifics, um, you know, you mentioned different stakeholders. I think at the very beginning, like once you're putting together a presentation, a product review, a deep dive, an analysis, whatever presentation you're, you're putting together, you need to think about your audience. Who am I talking to? Am I talking to um, the game team? And am I talking to designers? Am I talking to marketing? Am I talking to leads and execs, they will have different priorities and care about different things. So, um, you know, it's it's super important. You're not going to include the same data for an exec report than for a, a deep dive for the game team that's like working hands-on on like the nitty gritty of the game, right? Um, so that's, that's one piece. Two is really think about how you visualize the data. I think it's, you know, I see so many charts and graphs and that just don't tell me anything. Um, So you want to make sure that, you know, when you're presenting a visual, it's, I understand what you're communicating. And, um, you know, just for like more specific examples. Mistake, there's so many mistakes on data vi- uh, visualization that I see out there from your axis, like your retention, for example, let's say you're showing your retention, and you don't, your axis, like you have super zoomed in instead of having it like from zero to a hundred. And it looks like, hey, the game took a deep dive, right? It's just like retention took a, like a huge drop. And if you look at it, it's like, oh, it went from 40 to 38%. And just from like
1: <laughs>
0: Okay, that's a pretty
1: zoomed-in graph.
3: <laughs> yeah, based on your your axis, of course it's gonna look like a disaster, but is it? Uh so that's that's one example. Um another example of like how how f- I see just data mistakes out there is, um, you know, learn when to use decimal points, right? Like I don't need to know that 3,675 points, three, two, uh, dollars were spent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, again, you're not telling me a compelling story. Like you're distracting me with details that, um, might not be necessary specifically for you communicating results. Uh, Another piece of advice, when are you talking about absolute numbers versus percentages? And when you're talking about percentages, do you have a significant, like a sizable group of players that you're talking about? Because you can't tell me that 50% of players out of a cohort of 10 did X, Y, and Z that again is like very misleading. So there's like all these pieces where, you know, when you're talking about data, you can be very misleading. So make sure that when you're thinking about the data that you're presenting and telling this story, uh, again, suspend your bias, make sure that the data is, like you're you're being objective with the data that you're presenting and that you're following, you know, good practices on how you show that data. Um, have key insights and takeaways. That's another piece, right? It's like open with the key insights, close with your key takeaways. Uh, don't make me read a 20 page report before I even understand what you're talking <laughs> about and what you want me to take away from it. And this is regardless of your audience, like the data right. that you include on those key insights and takeaways will change based on your audience. But don't make folks read 20 pages before they know what, what you're trying to say. Um, right. And only show data that's impactful, that, that we can act on. Um, and provide the context, right? Like, try to provide context once you're going into the details. Provide the context. And finally, have actionable recommendations. Like, make sure that there's, like, okay, we can act on it in this way, But if you've done everything up to that point, it should be fairly straightforward for you to come up with those actionable um, recommendations. Yep.
1: Yep, completely agree. And I can um, kind of personally attest to, you know, uh, the data visualization point, especially like that. Uh, does take like significant time and thinking to get just right. Um, you know, I kind of see it even in the articles that I write on uh, on on uh, on Navic Digest. You know, just getting the right. Basically, this line of, you know, picture can uh, say a thousand words applies to graphs also. <laughs> and if you get it right, you don't have to like, you know, write three paragraphs or like tell a very long story, but just show the picture and the entire story is kind of captured in the picture itself. Um, so, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's all like great advice, uh, Tammy. Um, and it kind of like dovetails nicely into the next question. Um, you know, there's this learn, measure, iterate cycle is a very popular one uh, in product development, but many teams, you know, both early and late stage are overwhelmingly stuck on, on the day-to-day treadmill and in such a way that they forget or don't have time to perform one or more steps uh, in that cycle. Tell me, tell me, what do you think in terms of, you know, game teams kind of building momentum and sustaining this learn, measure, iterate cycle?
3: Yeah, I think that... Um it, it starts with trying to integrate those measure practices, kind of like that flywheel, getting your flywheel going very early, even you know before your life, while you're in early development, if possible. So one of the things that um, we've really kind of iterated on in our processes, so you wanna bake it into your process basically from the very beginning, One of the things that we've uh, really tried to bake into our processes at at Captain T, for example, is for new games, like we are going through that flywheel of um, measure, like learn, measure, iterate, and and baking into a product roadmap with internal, even internal surveys, like how, you know, let's measure it internally with the game team. Um, You know, what's the level of conviction that it's you know we're building the right game and be able to measure that how that changes milestone over milestone. That gives us a lot of information, at least internally and in, in conviction. And then, as we start opening up to new players um, and testing externally, that you know, early on, again, we won't have necessarily, you know retention that matters for us us to measure, but we can similarly have, um, you know, do a little bit more qualitative uh, analysis and, and data gathering from, you know, getting this kind of poll survey, what I, what I call a poll survey, with both the internal team and the external testers and kind of start that flywheel very early. So by the time you're gathering data, it's baked into your processes that everyone's like looking at like, okay, now, like, first of all, what were, what was our goal at the beginning of the milestone? Like, what are we going to measure Um, it starts with that, right? It's like, hey, this milestone, our goal is to test uh, with these many players, and we want to see uh, either, you know, positive sentiment in this way or retention in this way, you know, have very specific, right? So it goes back to what we've been talking about. Um, So what happens is when you start like that, by the end of it, like, or even when we're testing, like, the team, like, everyone in the team starts asking. like, okay, are we tracking towards our, our goals? Like, are we hitting goals. them? yeah. But even then, like, even before then, it just gives everyone a very um, clear way of prioritizing their time and their work as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, um, I...
3: Because once you're, like, about to hit that deadline of, like, hey, we're going to hit the date that we want to go live, Um, you know, as a product manager, you start throwing things at Mm -hmm. people. It's like, hey, can we do this thing? Can we do that thing? And they'll turn around, like a savvy team will turn around and be like, does that help our um, day seven retention test? Or like, uh, ah.
1: No, maybe maybe next release, (laughs) (laughs)
3: maybe next one. Right. So it's just like building those processes and like educating the team to be savvy in that way. I think like part of it is like educating it. And, you know, if you did not start that early, you can always start like you can always start getting your team moving towards that place. But you need the team to care about like the whole team to care about that flywheel. And you need, you know, your leads in the team to be driving that as well
2: exactly. and integrating yes.
3: into every part of the process of what you're yes. doing.
2: I, I used to, yep. I'm sorry, Tommy, for, yes, I, I really agree with what Tammy says. I, I used to be, I, I worked as a CTO for many years and I managed BI teams and I used to argue with the product managers. I used to force them to add in the product spec, the the questions and everything, so we would bake it into like Jira as subtasks. It was part of the feature development, so that when when everything goes live, we already know what we track and how it's it's being tracked already on production. Because otherwise. You start running around, you know, like headless chickens, and like, oh, we don't have this event, we don't have that, you know. The question was not there in the beginning, and it's like, yeah, but you can't do that, and you can't change this, and it's just it becomes like <laughs> yeah, it everyone like pointing fingers at each other, and it becomes really messy. Yeah, so wasting time. You really yeah. have to like that's a, that's a key role, I think, of you know tech leads or CTOs or that to bridge the gap the gap between product managers and and the development. So that when we execute what they ask, uh, what the uh, dear product manager asks us for, so, you know, it's executed properly.
1: Makes sense. All right so uh we're coming up on time uh so you know let's end with uh getting your quick thoughts on a slightly adjacent adjacent topic um it's also a long standing industry debate uh ab testing versus community so i've generally found that you know there are two types of game teams uh one that loves ab testing everything and and are, and are also like very transparent with their community about running ab tests on them uh the other uh, the other uh, a type of game team essentially abhors uh, a B testing uh, because it doesn't like to split its community's game experience and thereby prevent any backlash. Um, so Tammy, which school of thought do you subscribe to uh, and why?
3: that's that's a great question. Uh, so i I started my product management uh, career at a place that tested everything. Um, so Zynga no, is, is notorious I know this for place. testing. this <laughs> is <laughs> so. for for testing everything. Um, and I saw I honestly saw the good, the bad, and the and the ugly about doing that. I saw a lot of benefits from, you know, a b testing. Uh, at the same time, I also saw, and i I had to at some point do this like try to untangle this a b test that had, like, Branches upon branches and like so many variants, and you got to a place where it's like can't even make sense of like this test. Like it's not an Navy test; it's like an A B C D E F G <laughs> use the whole alphabet test. Um, so I'm I'm honestly somewhere in the middle uh, because you have to be smart about what you test, when you test, and you have to understand your capabilities. One thing that you have to remember is that um, I actually think it's a bit of a futile question until you have a big audience. Why? Because you need enough players, and it depends on like which, which metrics you're, you're going to measure against, but sample size matters. Like you need to have a big enough group on like your A and your B and your whatever else you're going to do to even have a good result. So this really is a question for like big teams. And at that point, I think it really is, depends on how you've built your community. Um, so if you've built your community, and I'm, I'm, I am very much a uh, proponent of just like having a very open, healthy communication with your community. If you've built that type of relationship with your community, you can explain, hey, we're going to run a test uh you know this is how you know how we're going to do it and you know if you some of you see a little bit of a different different experience like these are the reasons why we you know we want to just learn from uh you know this this test so i think it's it's being right. transparent with your community understand your capabilities be smart about what you test uh, i don't think you should ab test everything um because It's, you know, you can get yourself into terrible places of, uh, you know, optimizing in all sorts of weird, weird ways.
1: Yep. And also there's like a little bit of a culture impact because sometimes, you know, less uh, like a big, a big discussion in a, in a design, design meeting or a big, you know, argument or a point of difference in a design meeting sometimes gets concluded with okay let's a b test it but you know uh and it but on the other end of that statement is a lot of effort going into the a b test uh, a lot of you know there's an attached cost to it uh, the results takes time and basically a lot of things get slowed down so uh at least back in my experience at zynga you know uh Even after coming up with this feature spec and, you know, uh, creating like an A-B testing plan, there would be another meeting between the PMs and the lead PMs where we would go over the A-B test design itself because in that meeting, we would be able to eliminate a lot of the obvious things that don't need to be tested. So your A B C D E F G Till Z test can actually then just be an ABC <laughs> test, you know, if you just talk talk through a lot of the yeah. uh, variants and just eliminate them and save time, save cost, and you know, just make the analysis for the eventual PM who would do the analysis <laughs> a little <laughs> bit easier.
3: The other the other piece in what you just I think kind of touched on it a little bit is like. Test things that are going to be impactful. Test big changes. Um, You know, if you're testing two variants that, you know, there's like a 10% difference between uh, how many coins we give to these players versus these players, is that actually going to make a significant difference and impact to your game? I don't know if that's going to make a difference to your game. I assume no. But, you know, test big, big changes, um, that are actually going to be impactful on, on the game. And, uh, back to one of your previous questions, Manu, tests are used to val- validate hypotheses. So you have to have a, a hypothesis. You have to have a theory of, you know, what, what it's an educated guess of what might happen and what metrics will improve. Um, and I see a lot of times, like, Kind of what you were saying, just like being used as a cop out of like, oh, I don't want to make a decision on this, so let me just A/B test it and see what the the data says, and it's it's a little bit of like a cop out by data. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but yeah, Elad, uh, what about you? Which uh, which school of thought do you subscribe to, uh, and why?
2: I uh, so first of all, I love A/B testing, obviously. And uh, I really think you have to take it slow. Volume, obviously, like Tammy said, is critical, but you know, you have to take it slow. Like the whole A, B, C, D, E, like gazillion tests at the same times is very confusing. You have a ton of KPIs moving and doing it at the same times, it's a bit, uh, it's too ambitious in my taste. I prefer taking things slow, you know. Few more week, one weekend you test that, another weekend you can test that, it's okay. I've had cases that even before like uh, getting into uh, mobile and social games, I worked in online gambling. I remember that something simple as testing, the A-B testing the color of like a button that we changed it from red to green, spiked the CTR like, like crazy. So you, you never really know what will happen. And you also never really know what it will affect. You have a theory that it will affect, I don't know, click-through rate, revenue, whatever, but I I like uh you know that's why I'm saying finish the test, let let's let the data sink in, and then see maybe it affected churn, maybe it affected engagement, the session link. There are like a lot of KPIs. And when we develop dive, the dashboard, we have A-B testing in our dashboard. And Many companies do A-B test by goal, which is a nice idea in theory. But every company, every game studio we ever worked with, they ask for so many KPIs after the test that you cannot really define a goal beforehand. So in, in many uh, cases, what we have done is we built the dashboards with like 50 KPIs or like something insane, like 20, 30 K, like a ton of KPIs, and then, you know, uh, check post A/B test what happened in that, uh, in A, in B, in control group, etc. So because you don't you don't always know what will happen as a result of that test. Um, regarding community, I love community feedback. I think it's critical. I think it's one of the biggest input for like, uh, because data tells a story, but community can explain things that data will never, ever be able to explain. So a proper community management has a ton of insight to a game. But your question specifically, I'm not a big fan about that transparency part because it depends on the game, to be honest, because games that are kind of a single player let's call it like i know match three or you know in social casino you don't interact with other players so if you run an a b test no one really knows about it i mean unless they i know post in the fan page of facebook that they got this or that multiplayer games are most social by nature so they will probably speak more between them and then if you try to do like you give more coins or like something to one group or the other group then they will start uh, arguing or coming complaining yeah, so it depends I-, I would be more cautious in like uh, multiplayer games uh, very social games you know versus yep, the yep. single player ones
1: yep Makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it. Um, I guess yeah, with many things in life, you know, the answer is uh, it depends. And but it sounds like <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. It sounds like both of you are kind of uh, somewhere in between these schools of thought. Basically, to kind of summarize it in one line, it would. Be, I guess what your takes would be is there's just a time and place for either approach. Um, you can't uh, don't go on either end of the spectrum don't like live on one end of the spectrum all the time but you know just kind of pick and choose uh, depending on the situation whether you should really AB test something uh, or whether you know just go live with the change and and the numbers will kind of make it obvious uh, even without an AB test but um, but great I think I think that's a great way to end it for today uh, thank you again Ilah uh, and Tammy for coming on uh, Elad if listeners want to get in touch with you uh, and learn more about Dive how should they do so
2: so it's super easy to connect us. Our website is dive.games and my email is uh, elad at uh, dive.games. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And again, thank you so much, Manu, for this uh, uh, great episode and bringing on Tami as well. It's really fun to you know, speak with other professionals in the industry. Yep, yep. I think no we could've probably and do ten more parts of this series, but we'll we'll stop <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> and how, how about you, Tammy? How how can people get in touch with you? Uh
3: yeah, so you can uh ping me on LinkedIn. Uh I am slow to reply, but I will reply, I promise. Uh and my, my LinkedIn hygiene is not uh the best, but I will uh I will always be happy to connect, chat. Um, and even jump on a, on a call and in, in exchange stories. I, I love connecting with people, and I think that I'm, I'm very much about uh, if we share our learnings uh, across the industry, we'll just be a better gaming industry as a whole. So uh, definitely reach out.
1: Awesome great then thanks again to the both of you and and yeah we'll be back with episode number four soon enough Uh, and probably uh, in the next episode we can touch more on where data analysis is going uh, in the future Uh, you know how 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 teams processes uh, and everything around this topic is changing going forward Um, but yeah uh, I guess we'll end it there and see you in episode four
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.